everybody. Welcome to the China Conceive podcast, where we talk about everything trying to conceive, pregnancy, and more. And today we are talking to an amazing woman. She has two children, one where she carried and birthed her baby boy, and then another where a gestational carrier carried and birthed her baby girl. Her story is really inspiring, and she tells it so well, so I want to give her the floor straight away. I hope that you enjoy. Okay, so the floor is yours. Just share your story. So let's see. My husband and I had been married for like a year, and we decided we were ready to have kids. So I don't know how much of a story you want, so I'll try not to be like super long. Um, but just from like the very beginning, you know, we were ready to have kids. I went to my OBGYN. She said, "All right, great. Well, of course, it's all over. Some prenatal vitamins. I'll see you in a year." I was like, "Okay." So we tried for about six months, um, just naturally. Like I did, I think at one after like three months, we weren't pregnant, and I wasn't worried. But I was just like, well, maybe we'll be a little bit more scientific about it. So I bought like some ovulation kit uh, strips, and so in June, yeah, June of 2014. Um, no, sorry, July of 2014 was when we found out we were pregnant. And everything was fine, like nothing totally uncomplicated pregnancy until it was like, I think I was at my 32-week appointment, and they noticed that my son was measuring like four weeks ahead of schedule, like he was just really big. And they also noticed that his, um, one of his kidneys wasn't draining the way that it should be. And so from 32 weeks on, I started getting weekly ultrasounds to monitor his kidney. And that was the main reason for the ultrasounds. But then in doing so, we were able to see that he was already like really big. Um, so like at 32 weeks, they said he was plus or minus about six pounds at 32 weeks. Fast forward to my due date was March 18th. I was like two or three centimeters dilated and they decided that they were gonna go ahead and um, induce me. So they told us to come back that night. So my husband and I, we went and had dinner, <laughs> kind of like our last hurrah. And so like at midnight, around midnight on the 19th, it was when we finally got checked in. They did, they started every, you know, like they started all the stuff to induce labor. They were trying to not do Pitocin at first. So they gave me like, the, um, they did a Foley bulb, which is where they basically, it's similar to like a catheter. They tried to like induce labor that way um, and that didn't work. And so then they did break my water, started me on Pitocin. I got to seven, six or seven centimeters and then never dilated past that at that point for a few hours. And my water had been broken at that point, like up to like 12 hours. And so they were worried for, um, that I might be at risk for infection. And they asked if I was okay with a C-section and I said, yes. And so like, it was like around nine o'clock is when I finally like got ready 9 p.m. that night and got prepped for the C-section. And um, I just remember it being around nine because they were like, okay, it should take about 15 minutes. We'll have the baby. Great. All will be well. You'll stay in here to get stitched up. Your husband will go with your baby. 
Um, and then you'll be able to see him, you know, like in about an hour. And it took about 45 minutes for him to finally be born. Um, they kept having to make the incision larger. So husband went over, like over to the side of the room like, where they had my son. Um, and they were going to start trying to stitch to me up. And I just was, I, I couldn't, they couldn't stop. Um, I was bleeding. They couldn't, and they couldn't stop it. Um, and then my husband, like, actually went with my son at this point, you know, thinking everything was fine. So he went with my son. And then my son actually ended up going to the NICU because he, um, so backtrack really fast when he was born. The reason why it took so long to get him out because he weighed 13.1 pounds. So because he was so large, when he was, after he was born, his blood sugar just tanked, which is pretty typical for babies that are really big. Um, and so they took him to the NICU. He was also having like a little bit of respiratory distress. So they took him to the NICU. So my husband went with him. Uh, and then at one point, you know, while he had been, when he was with my son, they came and got him and they took him, he calls it like the room. And they told him, you know, like basically your wife is hemorrhaging we don't know what's happening. We're trying to do everything we can to save her at this point. And, and I, at this time, like I was like in and out of consciousness and I didn't really know what was going on, but like at one point I was like awake and they said, you know, you're bleeding, you're bleeding a lot. We can't stop it. Um, at this point, what we need to do is we need to do a hysterectomy. Otherwise you're going to bleed to death. And I remember saying like, okay, like don't let me die. So that turned into about a three-hour surgery. Um, I had also been bleeding vaginally, and I didn't realize it for a while because they were just looking at my, you know, my abdomen where they had made the incision. So that, yeah, so it was like, you know, at some point after midnight, I came out of surgery, um, and I remember, like, I kind of woke up, and I didn't know how big my son was at that point. I just, like, I remember waking up, and that was, like, the first thing I asked, like, is Bo okay? And they said, yes. <laughs> I said, um, how much did he weigh? And they said 13 pounds, and I said, holy shit. So we were up, my husband and I were up all night. Like, it, it, you know, my parents, his parents were all at the hospital. They were all, like, really traumatized. That was March 2015, and... So they just did a partial hysterectomy. So they just took my uterus. Um, they, you know, they said there was no reason to take my ovaries because otherwise that would have put me into full-blown menopause. And they were like, there's no reason for that right now. So my son was in the NICU for just three or four days. We were in the hospital. We all got to come home at the same time. They, the NICU doctor was pretty convinced that I probably had undiagnosed gestational diabetes. And that's why my son was so big, even though I had passed the glucose test, um, she said there's really just no other reason why he would have been so large. Like I gained, I mean, I gained 40 pounds, but it was all in my stomach. I'm five feet tall. I'm pretty petite normally. And then I just had this giant belly. So anyway, so that's really what was, that was what her guess was. Um, my doctors really had no reason as to why he got so big just because of his size and then the massive amounts of Pitocin they had given me to try to induce labor was basically what had caused my uterus to just 
like it just never started retracting back to its normal size and I, it was hemorrhaging and so they were just like we're taking it out so um it was a pretty rough <laughs> recovery you know m emotionally physically um I, I ended up going to I saw a therapist for a while when was that so like in the spring like right when he turned one we had decided that you know we definitely wanted more kids we weren't sure how to do that I mean we've been talking about it for a while like which way we wanted to go did we want to adopt did we not want to have any more children did we want to use a surrogate and that's what we ended up deciding was we decided to use a surrogate we initially weren't going to use an agency which is basically like the matchmakers of surrogacy world it's like online dating it's kind of funny so we were going to try not to do that just to save some money um and so i had there's like private facebook groups for matching yeah so that's i had reached out into a couple of different groups just I had posted like kind of what our story was at that point, what we were looking for in a surrogate. And then just started getting all of these replies from different women and talked to a handful of them, like, you know, kind of screening out some, but then like about, I think it was like two that I ended up having like really long phone conversations with. And one, I, we talked for like three hours and that's, she ended up being our surrogate. And so that was in like the summer of 2016 and we started the whole process. So she had actually been with an agency, but hadn't been having any luck and had asked the agency if they, if they were okay, if she tried to like do some of her own research. And so that's how she, we found each other. And so we did end up using that agency. They're based in Texas. That's where our surrogate lives. I don't know. They, they live like in the Austin area. So, so the first thing that we did was the agency had a lot of forms that we both filled out um, just to make sure that all of like our big issues as far as embryos to transfer, termination, you know, the, the stipulations for that, just a lot of the big compensation, insurance, a lot of the big things all matched up before we went forward. And then in August or September, our surrogate flew to Nashville and met with our clinic, our um, fertility clinic, to be screened by our doctor um, to make sure that he felt like she was okay to go through it. Um, doing so, he found out that she had um, a bicornet uterus, which is basically like your uterus instead of like a little, like the little triangle-ish shape. It's like curved, so it almost looks like rabbit ears. It was wild. Um, and he said that he was still fine to do it. She has two of her own children, and that was one of the, be, you have to be done with your own children. Anyway, so she flew down. He, was, he cleared her. And so then we went through, um, like, psych testing. So each of us, the agency uses they had someone that they contract with in Texas. So my husband and I filled out a ton of forms. She and her husband filled out a ton of forms. And then the psychologist interviewed us separately and then interviewed her separately and her husband. And then she and her husband. And then we all were interviewed together. So that medical clearance, psych clearance, 
And then I started doing my, like we started doing the IVF portion to get the embryos made. So my husband and I did that. The first time we ended up with, um, uh, we just, we ended up with one embryo. <laughs> only one, only one was viable for transfer. So um, at this point it's in March of 2017. It took a really long time because there was a big holdup with my insurance um, because through my work, my insurance, um, they do a portion, they did pay for a portion of IVF, um, but they tried to deny that at first because they claimed that my hysterectomy was a voluntary form of sterilization. <laughs> so it was like the biggest mess. We appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed. And finally, like they were like, okay. So that's what took, I don't think normally like the time between you get all of your site clearance and, um, well, and then also, sorry, after the site clearance, um, while I, while we were trying to do the embryo, the IVF part, um, to get the embryos, we were going through our, um, we each had lawyers and getting a contract written up. Um, and that took a long time too. And that's not uncommon for it to take like a good bit because you've got to go back and forth and back and forth and just trying to make sure that everybody is um, taken care of and everyone's needs are heard and met and um, everything like, you know, it can get, ours I feel like was pretty boilerplate, but I've heard that it can get like insanely specific of what people want in their contract. So finally, March 2017, we transferred our one embryo. Um, she and her husband flew up to Nashville and then did, so we did the transfer. They stay here for a couple days just because she has to be on bed rest. And then, so what happens after that is like, um, it's like six days after the transfer is when she go, you go and get your, she would go and get her blood work done to determine if like it had taken. The embryo was, was had had attached um and then april 20th 2017 um she ended up she had a miscarriage at eight weeks so so then in the summer this, that summer at some point i can't remember we you know we're ready she was ready we were ready to start again so we started over. I did a bunch of different meds this time to try to like produce more eggs. Um, so that time we grew, we ended up with seven embryos, which was kind of, um, it was hard. It was weird because it's like, at that point, it's like, well, now what do we do with seven embryos? But we had, so when we did just the one embryo, um, they felt like, obviously, a lot of people, you know, have, a lot of people have miscarriages, and most of the time, it's just some sort of, like, mutation in the, in the embryo, like, some sort of chromosomal abnormality, and it's not compatible with life, and, you know, a woman's body just kind of knows that, and, and that's what causes the miscarriage, um, but, you know, just because we had to be so scientific we knew so many things that a lot of times women don't even know and then just you know because there's so much at stake with this like so many extra parts and moving moving parts and stuff we 
decided that the next time we did the tra- or the, the embryos, we were going to have them uh, tested. And that was a big, it, that was really hard for me. I didn't really, I was really on the fence about it. I didn't want to do it. I felt unethical. It felt like I was picking like what embryos not to use. It just was a really big, it was really hard. It still is really hard to think about sometimes. Um, but we ended up with four that were viable. Um, and so we, um, I'm sorry, three that were viable. So in October, yeah, October, 2017, um, the surrogate flew back up to Nashville. Um, and we did the second transfer and that one was kind of interesting because we were living with my in-laws at that point, like trying to save money. And so instead of staying at a hotel, like she had done last time, um, she just stayed with us at my in-laws house. Like I had to give her the, like the progesterone shots and it was kind of wild. Um, but so that one stuck and our daughter, uh, was born in on June 14th, 2018. I got to go down in February of that year for like the 20 week ultrasound and the big scan. And so I like flew down there and stayed with her and her family. Um, and then we so that she was due July 1st. Um, and we had decided that like the first week of June, we were going to go and take our son and like drive down there and like stop at all these little places and kind of have like a little one last hurrah with just my son. And so from Nashville to Austin, it's about 14 hours. So we, we stayed in Memphis and then we stayed in Hot Springs, Arkansas for a couple of days. That's about the halfway point. And it was wild because our Airbnb had actually gotten um, double booked like the last night we were there. And so we just decided we were going to go ahead and like drive down to Austin for about three hours from Austin. And her husband sent us a text message that her water had broken um, in Chipotle. And so we ended up like getting to be there for, like we got to watch her be born. Like I got to like help catch her and, and um, it was just a really neat situation. It was totally not the normal situation, I think, because they lived um, in a du- they lived next door to a duplex, and one half of the duplex was not being rented out, and her neighbor let us stay there. So we were like next door for like a week and a half with our daughter, and our surrogate like pumped breast milk for us and we had you know just gotten to spend so much time with them before just just had been involved with their we've known each other at this point for like two years so um it was just really cool to get to um to get to stay there with them um my mom and my in-laws had flown down when we had called them and said she was born um and so they stayed down for a couple of days and then they flew back to Nashville with my son. And, and then we were there for about a week and a half total. And then my husband and I drove back to Nashville with our daughter and we're still like friends. I, she and I talk almost every day, texting mostly. That's a really long version. It probably could have been longer, but I was trying to condense some of it, but Thank you so much for sharing all that. I have been writing a list of questions, but you really like did a great job of answering most of them. I do want to talk about your first pregnancy first. 
So my biggest question is how do you cope with that trauma and like juxtaposed with like the happiest day of your life having a baby? That just must be so difficult. It was really weird. Um, it was really, well, partly it was weird because I didn't even get to see my son for like, I can't, it was like 18 hours because they wouldn't let me leave the ICU. Like, thankfully I didn't have to be innovated or anything like after surgery. Like I came off, you know, I was, I woke up and I was, that was good, but just like precautions, they, you know, so I just didn't get to see him for a long time. And I was still like, so drugged and foggy. Like that's something that I really feel like I didn't get to experience like that immediate like joy of getting to see your baby. Cause even when he was, even when they like took him out after I had the C-section, like I don't really have any memory of like getting to see him. I'm sure they showed him to me and then they took him away. It was, it was a weird feeling because it, it took, I think, it, I mean, it took really a long time for me to feel like, ha I, w I was happy. Partly, I think I was just like so drugged and groggy. Like it just was a, like, I don't even feel like, um, and then for, and for like the first two and a half days, he was in the NICU, you know, so it wasn't like he was in the room with us. And um, so that was just weird, like being in so much pain and feeling so groggy and then like not getting to like be with him all the time. Um, that was hard. It was weird. I mean, I don't feel like I really start to, got to like to start bonding with him until we got to come home. I really, I really just can't imagine because not only were you having your medical issues he was also having medical issues and then if you were to take having a baby out of the equation if anyone were to go through a traumatic experience and almost die like that alone would affect you in such a deep way for the rest of your life and then on top of all these other like variables it just you're a tough lady and <laughs> I applaud you thanks it was it's a weird it still is really weird. Um, oh, you mentioned that you went to therapy. Was that something that you would recommend for somebody else who had a traumatic birth? Yes. Yes. And honestly, I think every new mom, traumatic, untraumatic, needs to probably do, like, see someone. It's so, it's hard. Like, plus your hormones are, like, so erratic. Um, um, and so I, the, I didn't start seeing a therapist until like my son was almost, I think he was like three months old. I vividly remember like being in, like we were getting ready to go on a family vacation, um, like with my husband's like entire family. And so my husband had asked if I would go to Bass Pro and like pick up these swim trunks for him. And, um, like, so I'm in Bass Pro, my son is crying, like, I'm getting overwhelmed and I just remember like getting to the car and something else happened. Like I didn't have my credit, you know, it was just like all these random things and we get in the car and I just like, like just lose it. Like total hysterics. Like it sounds like, like animal sounds. Like I'm just like hysterical. And it was just like, I think at that point it was like a breaking point of just like 
because I think, I mean, I had cried initially and my husband and I had cried and it was really hard. And then it was just like, okay, well now I've got to heal and I've got to be a mom. So you kind of like stop processing like the actual trauma of the event. And so then like in Bass Pro parking lot, I lose it. And I like talked to like my husband and I talked for a really long time. And, and so after we got back from that vacation was when I had, I, I started seeing somebody, um, and she said, you know, she was like, I, she, you know, she was like, I don't think this is just postpartum. Like, I think this is probably PTSD. Um, and it's, it's, you need to, you need to talk through this. You need to process this. You need to um, deal with these emotions. Um, and not that it's not that just postpartum you know, I know that that is super serious as well. Um, but she just was changing. She just was diagnosing me as with PTSD just to treat me differently than she would with somebody with postpartum. Um, so yeah, so I, um, she and I, I saw her and it was actually, I had seen her before. Like I've had like anxiety is, has always been a, a part of my life. So, um, I had seen her, um, after my husband and I got married um, just normal life stuff. Um, so that was nice that I already knew her and felt comfortable with her. Um, so I started, like, I started on some anxiety meds. I had ta I'd taken them before, like in college and, and then hadn't taken them for a while. So starting on that, just, just tried to get outside, do a lot of walking with my son. Um, just, um, spending time, you know, just trying to do stuff that, uh, extra stuff that you, you do to cope with anxiety. Um, so I saw her, um, I saw her for about six months. So, and then I felt like I was kind of able to cope on my own, just using the stuff that we had done. I still stayed on the meds. I still on <laughs> anti-anxiety meds. Um, so at what point do you feel like you really started to bond with your son? Because I talked to a couple women who didn't have such a traumatic birth. And a lot of them were like, you know, having a newborn is really life changing. And like, I love my baby, but I didn't really like him until like six months in. Like, did you have any feelings like that? It was just not quite what you expected. I mean, part of it is, it's, it's kind of sad sometimes because like sometimes I don't really feel like I have a lot of memories of when he was super little, like those first like couple months, just because you're in such a fog, like you're exhausted and my hormones, everybody's hormones, but you know, I think mine are even crazier, um, losing an organ, <laughs> you know, you're, um, I don't feel like I ever had any feelings of like, I don't want to be around him or I don't like him, but, um, I did, I do feel like it took a while just to, um, like be happy, like to just be with him and hold him. Like I would have anxiety when I wasn't with him, but I don't know if that was necessarily because I just loved him so much and wanted to be around him all the time. Like, I think that was just more just, I don't know, just, 
I, and I think all new moms might go through that, just like worrying something's going to happen, but not necessarily because like, I'm just so in love with him and I want to be around him all the time. Um, but when we went on that, like, did end up going on that family vacation he was about three months old it was I would definitely say at that point like I was really I loved being around him and we had it was it was sweet like he was smiling at that point and um you know just had a little bit more of a personality I think that kind of does have to happen for a lot of moms like they actually have to start looking like a human and (laughs) <laughs> interacting yeah. sleeping and crying all the time yeah so I want to ask you a couple more lighthearted questions about your first pregnancy yeah so um you said that you were trying for about six months mm-hmm. then how long were you tracking your cycles probably like the last three months that we were trying um and like my doctor was very candid initially when I told her we were going to try to have kids and she was like okay Sometimes it takes people up to a year, you know, don't, don't worry, don't panic, you know, I was like, okay, so we just, like, had fun for the first, like, three months, and I was like, yeah, okay, if it happens, it happens, and, you know, just assuming that everything was fine, you know, and then it was, like, about three months, and my husband was the one that was like, do we need to be doing anything, like, is there something else that we can be doing to make this more, like, strategic? And so that's when I ordered, um, like the ovulation strips. How old were you at that point? 28. Yeah. Then how did you end up telling your partner? (laughs) It's a really uneventful, uneventful story. Um, we, it was so, like, I remember, like it was on a Wednesday. It was like the Wednesday after the 4th of July. Um, and he and I had met at the Greenway to go run after work. And I was, um, like I had taken, um, I had taken a pregnancy test and it said it was positive and I was like, okay, okay. So I met him and we still went and ran. I didn't say anything, we ran. And then I told him I was going to go get something at the grocery store on the way home. So he went home and then I went to the grocery store and got two more tests and took, you know, like did two, those two tests and just to make sure. And they were both positive. And so he's like downstairs watching TV and I was like, <laughs> he gives me a hard time because I said like, you know, what are you doing? He was like, Oh, I'm watching a show. I was like, when you're done, come upstairs. I want to show you something. He was like, okay. He was like, did one of the dogs chew something up? I was like, no, just, just whenever you're done. He was like, okay. So he like stopped the show and came upstairs and I showed him. He was like, is this real? (laughs) So it wasn't like there was nothing grand about it. And we both like, you know, we just stood in the bathroom and was like, all right, this is happening. (laughs) I love that. Did you feel pregnant right away or did that take a little while to kick in? It took a it took a while. Like it really didn't. Um, I mean, I, it was kind of weird feeling like, okay, this is really strange. Like nobody knows this tiny little secret. Um, 
And I think I didn't, I don't think I went to the doctor. I think I was like eight weeks was when I finally could get in. Um, and even then it looked just like this tiny little jelly bean. So, I mean, I definitely felt more pregnant. Like once I started feeling bad, like I, I, it's really funny that we ended up using a surrogate because I had said that I had such a good pregnancy, obviously until the delivery, which was horrible, <laughs> but the, like my pregnancy was great, you know? And I was like, maybe, you know, like, Oh, I'll, I'll be a surrogate. Like, maybe one day I would do that. It'd be fine. Like if all my pregnancies were this easy. So who knows? But yeah, because we had decided we, we had initially said we wanted four kids. So we don't know what to do. We don't know. Yeah. But we still have two embryos that we think about that I think about every day. <laughs> like, so uh, your clinic is local. The embryos aren't in Texas. They're local with you. Sure. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick, before I talk about your gestational carrier, what was the best part of your pregnancy? Just honestly, it really was, and I hate to say this, it was, it was an easy, it was easy. Like I, I didn't have, I mean, I did end up having like some lower back pain, like on my right side, but I worked like until I worked in home health. So I was working until like the week before I was due and that was because my stomach was touching the steering wheel because like I'm so short like I had to be so close and my doctor and my husband were both like yeah you probably shouldn't be working if just in case like something were to happen you're in the car so much you know but yeah it was just really easy and it was really um fun to feel him move around he got to where he was so he was head down for a long time because he was so big and he was just like constantly kicking like Pretty easy, I guess, is the best part. <laughs> How did you end up telling your work, and when did you decide to tell them? Um, I told them, I ended up having to tell them, not earlier than I, not really a lot earlier than I was planning on it, but I think I ended up telling them, like, like right after I went to the doctor, because I was actually at a patient's house. I was seeing adults at the time. This, I had had a patient who was um, walking with a walker, and I was following behind her in her wheelchair. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was going to faint. <laughs> and so I told her, I was like, I'm really sorry, but I can just sit down in your wheelchair. <laughs> and so, like, her mom, this lady was, like, in her 40s, and her mom was there. And so her mom was, like, helping me to the couch. This lady, like, had fallen off a horse or something. So she's, like, has these pretty serious injuries. So, but this lady's mom is, like, helping me to the couch. She gets me a coach. She gets me some peanut butter crackers. I was so embarrassed. I was like nine weeks. And so I was like, I should probably tell my work that I'm pregnant. <laughs> well, that right there is why I think women are awesome because the fact that her mom was helping you. That's so cute. I know. I know. It was so sweet. I'll never forget that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so now let's talk about your gestational carrier. So you guys decided that you wanted to have some kids. Do you do IVF before picking a gestational carrier or like how do, how do you even navigate like what step do I do first? I think everybody does it a little bit differently. We really once we made that decision that we wanted to use the surrogate, we just kind of started doing it all at once. I think just from like the Facebook groups that I'm in, the surrogacy groups that I'm in, people do it differently. Like women that have 
like maybe known from the get-go that they would have trouble conceiving for whatever reason or that had um, maybe already done IVF. Like sometimes like these families start surrogacy already having their embryos frozen. They're ready. They just need to find a surrogate. But then other people um, like are, do it more similarly to what we did. Like they kind of just start it all at the same time. Um, I think it's just a little bit different for everybody. That makes a lot of sense. So do you compensate a surrogate? Is that part of the negotiation? Yeah. So <laughs> this is why we lived with my in-laws for two years. <laughs> and we sold, like, we sold our house. Um, I'm nervous. No, yeah, we sold our house. We lived with my in-laws for about two years. Um, it's just like... It's, it's just really expensive and we knew it would be. And I, I think, you know, from what I understand, adoption can be just as expensive, but yeah, so we, so you, um, you ha they have a flat compensation fee that gets um, delivered like in an escrow account every month. It's like getting a paycheck. They also have not fees, but they get like bonuses. Like they get med bonuses. They get, like transfer fee, transfer bonuses. Um, they get, um, like if they have to go on bed rest, we would also pay for like their childcare or if they had like lost compensation wages, they get a maternity clothes fee or a stipend, stipend, that's the word. Um, so it, it got, it gets pretty expensive. Plus all the IVF stuff is, yeah, for us, like since we ended up doing IVF twice and then we paid for like her DNC and we paid for the extra testing, you know, like plus all of her stuff. And you pay for like the lawyer's fee, the agency fee, the site testing fee. Like I have to ask my husband to double check, but we, I mean, it was over, it was about $120,000. That's including IVF or was that just for the surrogate? That's including IVF. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I the, think surrogate, the surrogate, her base fee, I think was like 28, 27, but then in total, like with all of the extra stipends, it's about, probably about closer to 50. Yeah. I had no idea that if they were on bed rest, that would be up to the family to figure out. I yeah. never would have thought of that. I thought maybe that would go on her insurance or your insurance. A lot of, um, a lot of insurances don't cover surrogacy. Some do. It's very rare. So that was another thing we had to take out an extra, like we had to get an insurance plan for her. Yeah. There's so many moving parts. It's and so then you funny. said you did get partial coverage for your IVF as well. Yeah. I think it was like 10 grand, which in the grant, in this, in this grand scheme of things, that's really not that much, but it was. It was enough that we wanted to fight for it when they initially denied the coverage. Sure. So, yeah. You said that your relationship with her ended up being really close. Do you think that's typical for most people? I would assume, oh no, really? Well, I wouldn't say that, like, I don't know. Just from what I have, because I'm still involved in like a lot of these surrogacy groups. Um, I say, I think most of the time it's really they're, they're really positive relationships. And even after the baby's born, maybe you don't, maybe you don't see each other as often, but most of the time, these relationships are pretty cordial. They're nice. They're not, um, it's not like super lovey-dovey in every situation, just from what I've seen, like in posts and stuff. 
it's, I, it seems more rare that it's a difficult relationship. And, and really that's probably because their initial, like their match sheet, their initial like big ticket items, or even their like smaller items just don't match up. And sometimes also though, it's just communication style, which it should be, that should be kind of up front too. Like you need to know like how you communicate, how you want to be communicated with, like how often you want to be updated on stuff. And that's what I've seen is that seems to be the biggest thing that causes stress in this, in the situation is that one group, usually the surrogate, the parents feel is not communicating enough and I don't, yeah, that's just what I've seen as the biggest issue. I can understand that because at the end of the day, your baby is, I'm not sure how many miles that is, but a couple thousand miles away. Yeah. And some people, you know, some people are using surrogates in different countries, you know, like it's just, it's crazy. So you were able to be in the delivery room when she had your daughter? Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Is that something yeah. that you worked out through your lawyers? Yeah, we talked to, we talked to our lawyers. We talked to her OBGYN. Like we had, we, um, and we had, and that was another thing. Like we had all of these plan A, plan B, plan C, like, you know, how many people did she want in the room? How many, if she had to have a C-section, who could be in the room? If she had to have an emergency C-section, like, and only one person was allowed in the room, like who would be allowed in the room? Like, you know, it's just constantly like thinking of all these things. Um, but yeah, we, everything went smoothly. The only, the thing that has like been the saddest part, I think is that um, after she had the, our baby, um, she ended up being diagnosed with postpartum preeclampsia. And so they won't clear her. They didn't, they cleared her. They wouldn't clear her to do another pregnancy. So we won't be able to use her again. I got you. So now we'll have to start all over for that, like that part, finding a surrogate. That's frustrating. But I'm just thinking about all of the plans that the lawyers put in place. I think that's so smart, but I wasn't sure if it was like a game day decision or if it all had to be spelled out. We had a whole like sheet. We had everything like planned out. You answered so many questions I think a lot of people will be thinking about because so um, I've actually had someone ask about a surrogate. So I think you sharing your story is really going to help. So thank you. Yeah. Well, and if if anybody like wants to ask me any questions, that's, you can just let me know and I can give you my email or however they want to reach out. They have more questions. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Do you have anything else that you want to tell someone who's uh, thinking about having a baby? <laughs> um, I mean, this sounds probably like really cheesy, cliche, but it's, yeah, it's really, I mean, it's really hard, but it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. You're welcome. It was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did enjoy it, please share it with a friend. And if you would like to come on here, please email me at trynaconceivepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram at trynaconceivepodcast.
There's not a lot on there right now, but maybe one day I'll start adding content. Um, all right, I hope that you